Hey there, this is Manisha Kalagatur, Partners Zephyr Consulting Services and your host. If like me, you're mid-career and reflecting calmly on the first half of your career, you've probably asked yourself, what impact have the actions of the past years had on my life, personally and professionally? And what have I contributed to the community around me? How many leaps of faith have I taken and how many have taken those leaps of faith with me? With me today is Biren Bhuta who's made taking leaps of faith in art form, beginning with a traditional job in banking to business journalism with NDTV and corporate social responsibility with Tata Steel. Currently, Biren is engaged in his exciting new venture, The Som, a school for political aspirants. During our conversation, we spoke of taking a journey inwards, slowing down and listening to one's conscience and inner voice to find the next path, learning from nature and native tribes, and most importantly, redefining the reward equation from what's in it for me to what have I contributed. So, have you ever taken a leap of faith? You know, I'm reminded of Kipling that if you can make one heap of all your winnings and risk it on one turn of pitch and toss and lose and start again at your beginnings and never breathe a word about your loss. That's, it's like a, a light motive which keeps repeating itself all through my life, all through my professional and personal life. Biren is an idealist and I began by asking, if you want to save the world, where would you begin and what lessons can we learn from them? Uh, tribal uh, worldviews, which is, which is very different. And growing up in Mumbai and having uh, done my education in Pune, Kolkata, worked in Chennai, uh, one has always grown up and spent time in in cities and you are not conditioned to think of caste or there is no exposure to the tribal world and which is for no fault of us. Now, uh, having spent time in Bastar and over the last so many years since then, I can uh, say with all the responsibility at my command and all the sincerity at my command, and I'm really sticking my neck out and saying this, that if we want to save the world today, let's save tribal thought, tribal worldviews. And this is not romanticizing a particular community. I firmly believe it because they are probably the last custodians of all that is sustainable of, and all that talks of unity in the world. You know? And I hope more and more people try to understand it and not just understand it, internalize and embrace it and adopt it in our day-to-day -day life. There is a circular decision-making where every voice matters where there is unanimity, not consensus, but unanimity. Not Bahumat, but Sarvamat. People are actually following this as a village called Mindalekha in Garchiroli, where this experiment has been going on for the last 25 years on how decisions can be taken in a Sarvamat fashion. Because you see how our election also works. Only 60% people go to vote. And of the people who vote, if 35% vote share if I get as a single largest party, I form the government. 65% of the people who have voted have not even voted for me. In tribal communities, every view counts. Man, woman, child. It's they have like tried Ubuntu, it in Mexico. Right? Yes, it's, it's Ubuntu. I am because we are. In Mexico, in the Chiapas region, uh, there's a community called the Zapatistas. They also work in a similar manner. I think this is a beautiful concept that it's, but you need to slow down. We are in this rush. And when we are in this rush, we will trample over people's views. 
and then you, it doesn't take you far. It, it, is, it is convenient, it is expedient by all means, but it is not enduring. Biren is currently building a leadership school for politicians. My first reaction to this was, that's an oxymoron. Politicians attending school? DSOM, first let me explain what DSOM really stands for and which is really so aligned with our wavelength and the credo of the leadership school that we are setting up, calling it BSOM, the leadership school. BSOM is a word which comes from the Austroasiatic languages of Jharkhand, Santhali to be specific. And it means homeland for the soul. It's just not a piece of land. It's that land with the trees and the forest and the rivers and the streams and the birds, animals, fishes, and us human beings. It's some place where we belong. It's not something that belongs to us. That's the shift that we need to bring in all our thinking. Nothing belongs to us. We belong. And if my vision is limited, it could mean my, my small little village could be my diso. But if I were to expand my vision, it could really encompass the whole planet. That's the type of leadership that we are trying to reimagine. Can we reimagine a new type of leadership for our time? A leadership that has the courage to listen to that inner voice and be guided by that inner voice. You know, in the Gurbani, Guru Nanak, his first thing is the Mool Mantra. In that he uses 13 words, each one more beautiful than the other. But two words really stand out. Nirbhay and Nirbair. Without fear and without malice. Can we have leaders who are fearless? who are without malice and who listen to that inner voice. Uh, that's a very radical shift, as you rightly mentioned, from the type of leadership that we have in public life today, whether it's in politics or bureaucracy or judiciary or the media or what have you. It's a departure from that. Can we have leadership that comes from a space of seva, of service? You know, our, our leaders actually are called servant. You know, uh, we call them public servants. Unfortunately, we have so denigrated that word, the servant, but actually it comes from a beautiful word. The root word is service, seva, and the Hindi equivalent really captures it, seva. A reimagined world with politicians interested in seva? Beautiful thought. Hold that for a bit while we explore how Birain got to this point. Before all this happened, he was doing something entirely different. Let's begin with his first leap of faith. So we both graduated in 99. Uh, from rival campuses, a lot of rivalry on campus as well. Uh, as you, as you correctly reminded me in the uh, first interview, but um, we we excelled, excel, you know. Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> so you started off in financial services. Now, can you describe? And then you veered off that path very quickly and went into media and business journalism. Can you describe to me the moment when it all changed for you and you decided, yeah, uh, Manisha, this has been a, a recurring uh, thing in my life. You know, I was working in, in Standard Chartered in Chennai. I saw a very small ad in the Hindu, uh, which invited students to apply for a fellowship scheme, a Gurukul fellowship scheme. I was no longer a student. I was a working professional. But I thought, let me go ahead and apply, whether to select or reject me is their prerogative. Uh, so I generally applied. I ended up being selected. They sent me for one month at a monastery in McLeod Ganj with uh, opportunity to have a private audience with His Holiness the Dalai Lama. 
And so off I went, I, I applied for special leave from the bank and they were very kind to me and they, they allowed me to do so. And when I went there, uh, you get sort of detached, you know, there is a sense of detachment and you can see, see things more clearly. I realized that banking is not what I want to do for the rest of my life. I didn't know what I want to do and uh, I still probably don't. But uh, it was very clear to me that this is not what I want to do. I started applying. I got some job offers from other financial services uh, institutions. But there was something within me saying that this is more of the same. You know, uh, this is not what I want. This is not why I want to leave Standard Chartered. And then you see, these are signals that come. If you are aware of the alchemist, uh, he talks, Paulo Coelho talks of the signals in the in the environment and one needs to keep your antenna open. And one of my senior colleagues who had just returned from Delhi, he told me, Biren, why don't you talk to uh, NDTV? And I said, why? I'm, a, I'm from, I am Calcutta and uh, media is the last thing in my, on my radar. He said, no, you must talk. And I, I, I was intrigued. Why is he telling me to do this? NDTV was our client in, of Standard Chartered in Delhi. So I got the CFO's number and I spoke with him. He said, why don't you write to Pranoy Roy? And I said, how does one do that? He gave me his email ID. And I generally wrote him a mail, thinking aloud whether I could work with NDTV. I don't even know how. I have zilch idea about journalism or media management. And he replied back to me. And again, to cut a long story short, I ended up working in NDTV, not managing media, but as a journalist. So from being a corporate banker with a foreign bank, I switched careers to becoming a television journalist with NDTV as an experiment in my career. And one doesn't know what is meant for you. And one just has to keep having these uh, leaps of faith, as I call them. Uh, just jump. So you jump off the deep end. What happens next? Do you sink or swim? types. You know, I, I had no idea of how this medium works, how television works. Uh, camera, editing, writing a story. But it was all learning on the job. And uh, NDTV put me straight off on a BBC assignment because we were a production house then. We used to produce content for the BBC. It was called India Business Report. So my very first story on television was for the BBC. And they fired me. They sent such a stinker to Pranoy saying that, you know, who have you brought in and what a ridiculous story it was bad production so the first few stories were really awful but then one learned five and a half years in NDTV first doing this BBC program and then we launched our own channels NDTV 24-7 and NDTV India so I used to start uh, doing business reporting for them uh, at some point we thought of launching a 24-hour business channel NDTV Profit I was part of the team that launched Profit uh, towards the latter part of my stint, I was anchoring and presenting a half an hour documentary program called Beyond Business that looked at uh, CSR and social initiatives of corporate sector, of bureaucracy, of civil society organizations, which is beyond your bread and butter business. I thought it was a, it was a great stint. It was an experimentation in my career, uh, great learning. You interact with the who's who of the corporate world. And you don't want to look like a complete Dumbo in front of them. So you do your back-end research and go and you are doing news. Then on one day, on the same day, and we don't have in, in television, unlike in the print medium, you don't have a, spe a specific beats. You end up doing everything. So on a given day, I would be covering a cement 
press conference and then go to a banking results and then do automobile and then end up the day with an interview with Narayan Murthy or someone. So, so it gives you a really 10,000 feet in the sky view of the economy. So it was a fantastic learning experience for me. But I should also admit that somewhere I was beginning to see some changes in me, which I was not liking. And I felt that this is not me. This is not Biren. When you're doing well, that's the time you should take a moment and reflect. Because that's when behavior changes and hubris sets in. And as we all know, many a great corporate story has ended in staggering downfall because of hubris. Some arrogance, that chip on your shoulder. Television also, people start to recognize you. You walk on Dalal Street, people know you. In a suburban train and somebody's staring at you and then comes up to you and says, I've seen you on television. So you start becoming impatient, arrogant. It is a very seductive medium, Manisha, and uh, it can start getting to you. And I was beginning to see that. You, can, you also become very competitive because it's me first. You know, it's always NDTV versus CNBC or Aajtak versus Times Now or whatever. It can become really brutally competitive. And that's not me. And I was beginning to uh, feel that. The other thing that I was seeing uh, at a much more macro level is the dumbing down of the news uh, medium as a whole, both uh, print and especially the television medium. And I could see that on a downward spiral. And How do you mean? A, the sensationalization of very trivial stuff, which to me doesn't even tantamount to news. Manufacturing sometimes, while NDTV stayed away from it, but one could see that happening in the larger ecosystem. News also gets manufactured, you know, and to cater to certain segments. And we see that happening so much now. Zobani khreedli ho, kisine kalam hi chinli ho. Many, many things that I saw in television, which... Uh, also were somewhere instrumental in me deciding that I've done what I had to, I've learned what I had to, and now it's no more growth. I'm beginning to stagnating or I'm actually losing a part of me, which is very, which I hold very dear to me. And that's when I just on that, on that feeling, I quit NDTV one day after five and a half years. Uh, I didn't have a job on, in hand and I just stayed at home six months or so, or maybe more. I just was chilling. So a word of caution before you go and jump off the deep end. The road is tough and you need family support. Right. For the third time in life, Biren went off and did something unusual. Faced with a choice between moving to China or taking up an assignment in the tribal lands of Bastar, he chose something that spoke to his inner self. Uh, I got an offer to work with the Indian Express as their principal correspondent in Beijing. I thought, wow, it's a fantastic opportunity. You can imagine uh, someone in the media world who knows India well and who knows China well. You are hot property. Yeah? Your CV really looks good. And I was very inclined to accept that. I went to Delhi a few times, had, a, had some interactions with Shekhar Gupta, who was then editor of the Indian Express. Decided to enroll myself in a course in Mandarin at JNU. All that was uh, going on, but Sometimes universe conspires and uh, I met Mr. Muthuraman who was then managing director of Tata Steel and he suggested if I could work with them in Bastar. So on the one hand there was Beijing and on the other hand there was Bastar of which I knew very little except what you read in the papers and you read only negative stuff about Bastar as a hotbed of Naxalism. But again there was a, some pull for me towards Bastar 
something was calling me out there and i chose bastar over beijing but i'm so happy for that you know bastar changed so much so much in me and that's how my stint in, in rural india started and tribal india started and it was like love at first sight i was fascinated by working with local communities and towards their development and the, and the tatas do that wherever they go even before they set up a plant their rural development wing uh, kicks in first so that was what i was supposed to do but couldn't do much of it hand on heart because the local communities were quite suspicious of motives legitimately so because they have been cheated several times in the past by several agencies whether it's governmental or the corporate sector they they had this fear that if we give away our land we would be left without anything right and which is so true uh, so i couldn't do much but for me it was personally i think it was a great experience what happened next tata steel again called me the md and he said can you work for us in odisha and i said sure i can work anywhere what's the deal and he said we are building a port with lnt uh, and we are late entrance into the port there is an environmental issue there the port is coming up close to the nesting grounds of the olive ridley sea turtle and greenpeace was agitating against the port and especially targeting the tatars the tatars told me that we don't want to do anything that harms the turtles because of which we are engaging iucn the international union for conservation of nature which is really the premier scientific body in the world it comes out with the red data book the tatars were planning to engage iucn and iucn wanted a project manager who knew the tatars well and who could get things done with the tatars but was also extremely independent minded and a difficult customer in bombay language they call it khadus uh, mr muthuraman thought of me and i said thank you for your compliment but i really don't know my turtle from my tortoise but that was not a problem because there were turtle scientists from around the world whose advice we had to follow so off i went to do a recce and i realized that while bastar was difficult this was extremely challenging but at the same time extremely interesting and inspiring because this this particular species is a fascinating species i really the next two years i worked with iucn in uh, odisha and i feel blessed to be able to work for the turtles and there again i learned one thing about how to hold paradoxes together seemingly different positions and seemingly different realities and truth how do you hold them together which is so important today manisha in both in our personal lives we face those situations those dharm sankats all the time more importantly in our professional lives in public service in, in the bureaucracy in the judiciary how does one hold paradoxes together i was working with iucn sitting in the port office working closely with them at the same time ensuring that uh, you know you don't sleep with the enemy but there is no enemy at the end of the day it's all we're all together in this one thing which i would like to mention here at this point there's always been a sincere attempt to listen to some inner voice which is there in all of us but we stifle it and we muffle it most of the times because it's a very uncomfortable voice it's it it tells us unpalatable stuff about ourselves but if we were to nourish it pay heed to it and uh, and have the courage to walk on that path i think we will never be misguided i think it was frank bookman who said and i'll come to bookman later in our conversation but he said this that when man listens god speaks and when man obeys god acts and when man changes nations change and even gandhi ji said that the only tyrant in the world to whom i would submit myself to is the still small voice within wait slow down listen to the inner voice 
Aren't these the things retired folks do? Who has the time to slow down when there are so many pressing matters on hand? Don't we all have EMIs to pay, children to raise, college funds to put together? But you won't be there. You won't, what will you do then? I guess that is how most of us have been bred. So that's the common uh, that's popular. Yeah. yeah, that's the popular narrative that just get out there and do it. Time to return to the core story, the Som. I asked Birin how he has imagined the school and what the curriculum would look like. So I was talking of this Australian senator. His name was Kim Beasley, very high up in the Australian government. He's unfortunately no more now. But he said something remarkable, that when your motive is truth, you will be fit for power. But if your motive is power, you will most likely distort the truth. And we see that happening all the time. Not just in India, we see it happening across the world. And it is not, I'm ag- it is agnostic of persons or, uh, or political parties or political ideologies. It is cutting across the political spectrum, really. From the extreme left to the extreme right and everything in between. We see that happening all the time. Truth becomes a convenient thing to be sacrificed at the altar of acquiring power. What do you propose? And then, yeah, and then uh, leaders who demolish walls. We are, we are so busy building walls between us, between gender, between caste, between religion, between uh, nationalities, between sexualities. So we're busy building walls. Can we, despite all our differences, can we build bridges across divides? is the type of leadership that we are imagining. So we are setting out on this really crazy, you use the word uh, oxymoronish thing, but really a crazy dream, a that can we nurture such type of leaders. And you need mavericks. We are in search of mad people. I think anything significant in the world has happened by mad people, whether it's good misfits. or bad. Misfits. You can call them whatever name, <laughs> but we are in search of such people. So every year, it's a, it's a one-year full-time physical contact program that we are kick-starting from the 26th of January, 2021. The applications for which are already uh, started. And we are in search of 30 people every year in every cohort. And the focus is really, you asked about curriculum, the focus is really turning the searchlight inwards. And once all the, all the game is played inside, you know, so once we sort that out, then anything without is possible. Uh, but how do we begin to listen? And so, that's sorry, really sorry, this, this question, this, um, these 30 people that you're going to have as a cohort, they are people who are currently engaged in public service? It could be people who are currently uh, engaged. It could be people who aspire to be okay. in that space, who have that knack, who have that flair, who have that uh, commitment to serve, yeah? who have a fire in the belly. We need such type of people. And we are inviting everyone. So regardless of your political affiliations, we welcome all. Uh, no age criteria, only the minimum age is 21. We, in fact, we have got application from a 60-year-old person. Uh, education is not a criteria. So on the one hand, we are having someone who has done master's in public policy from the Kennedy School. On the other hand, we also have a 12th grader from Gadchiroli district of Maharashtra and we are welcoming both because we are acknowledging that leadership could reside, you know, regardless of formal education and, and wisdom could be beyond formal education as well. We're not charging fees from the candidate. 
because we feel that really if we want to be inclusive, if we want to get people from as far as Baramulla and Kashmir to Kifri, Nagaland, apart from the Mumbai, Delhi, Pune, Bangalore set, we need to really demolish all walls ourselves. So we are uh, not even charging fees. We are actually giving a stipend to those who need it because they would need something to support their families back home. They would need something to keep body and soul together. And the entire onus of raising uh, resources is on us, on the core team. And we are doing it as crowdfunding exercise. Uh, we believe that ordinary Indian citizens should be invested in an idea like this. So family, friends, personal networks, people are giving me as less as 500. Somebody is giving me as much as 5 lakh. So we don't want one or two funders to fund this because this idea should not be hijacked or allowed to be hijacked by the color of money. So, so talk to uh, me about yeah. the, the, the 12 months. So say I enroll, right? And I am successful in uh, getting through this coveted program. What will I do? One a major chunk of the program is the inner work uh, that we would be doing, uh, which is based out of, as I said earlier, initiatives of change. I was talking of Frank Bookman. So there is this movement called Initiatives of Change, which Bookman started as the Oxford group uh, in, in England. And then during World War II, it uh, was renamed as Moral Rearmament. Very interesting turn of phrase. So today, all of us talk of nuclear disarmament. And Bookman and his colleagues talked of that the world needs a spiritual and moral rearmament. And then the name stuck. So the Oxford group was renamed as Moral Rearmament. And in the year 2000, it was renamed as Initiatives of Change. It's a global movement across the world. But in India, it was started in the early 60s by Rajmohan Gandhi and some of his colleagues. Center in Panjgani near Pune. And uh, the whole focus for the last, it was set up in 1968. So for the last more than 50 years, the focus there has been on inner development, on inner governance, inner leadership. I've been associated with uh, the center for the last uh, 12, 13 years as a volunteer. And this whole Bisom the Leadership School is actually housed, is a program, is going to be a program of that center, of that, of initiatives of change in India. So like in our uh, Sanskrit text, we have a saying that do something for your salvation of your own soul, Atmanam Mokshartha, Jagata Hitayacha. And also in the process, welfare for the world. Uh, it has to be a combination of nourishing your own soul, but at the same time, benefiting the world at large. So a large focus of the program is going to be on that. But at the same time, there'll be uh, a lot of conceptual cognitive stuff, constitution around ecology, around issues of diversity, around political ideologies, from Socrates downwards, around the world of finance, around issues of sustainability, where external people will come, uh, have discussions and everything will be accompanied by an experiential immersive learning so we're going to follow the david kolb's experiential learning framework to ensure that whatever discussed does not become a pedantic or an academic exercise but is really grounded in the realities of our country uh, like the japanese in japanese industry they have a concept of gemba where go to the shop floor because the problems of the shop floor are not solved sitting in the manager's cabin. And, and likewise, the problems of India, if India is a shop floor, are not solved sitting in Delhi or Mumbai. You have to go down to the grassroots to understand. So the duration of the program is definitely one year, but the relationship is not going to be a one-year relationship. It's going to be Taumra. We would work with our fellows, fine-tune and refine those dream missions that they would have. And after the one year, they go back to their own backyards, to their own constituencies, uh, to their own, to the causes that they are 
seized with and implement those dream missions on their own. And in the process of doing that, without any agenda to solve some problem, you are also building your social and political capital, pure seva. That's broadly the dream that we have. It sounds utopian, it sounds idealistic, but my submission to you and through you to all our listeners is today we need idealism more than ever before. Otherwise, if the current systems that we are living in, they have failed us. Whether it is the social fabric that we are currently in, whether it is the economic models that we swear by, or whether it is the political structures that govern us, these have failed us. Now, if we were to not to accept this, we are living only in a state of denial and we are like Gandhari with a patti on our eyes. What would you say would be the impact created by this 12-month leadership program? I would be hesitant to put this in any standard. And I've worked in the corporate sector and I know that what does not get measured does not really get, get done, done or does not. I would say that every year, these 30 people who will be sort of unleashed in a way in the system would be like fireflies, jugnus. They will emit light and, for, and they will burn themselves to be able to emit light. If you want to provide light, you have to somewhere burn within. I think wherever they will go, uh, in whichever sphere of public life they will go, as long as they are political in nature, as long as they take a stand. So the program is not going to be prescriptive that you need to join a particular political party, you need to fight for these elections, or you need to come together and form a new outfit of yours, or you need to get into XYZ. Each of our fellows would have his or her own trajectory. We would be co-travelers along that path. Uh, it's a very Kafkaesque uh, thing. You know, paths are made by walking. I firmly, firmly believe in that. Sometimes, Manisha, and this is, I firmly believe this, we all know that we want to move from point A to point B. And I, I don't think any of our listeners uh, or anyone whom we speak to will dispute that, yeah, we are here at this point in time in history and in our society, and we need to go here. We don't know how to go. And when you don't know how to go, the only transportation that you have with you is a leap of faith. What's in it for me personally? What's in it for you? Now, <laughs> we're conditioned to think that way. Sometimes articulating that what's in it for me helps clarify and puts it out there for everyone to see. It, it could be something that people can feel. It could be something that people experience. I'm just changing that equation. I'm changing that question. I'm turning it on its head. Rather than asking what's in it for me, can I ask what is, what is that which I can offer to the world? What can I offer? What is my gift that I'm offering? And once you ask that question, then rewards don't matter. Gratification is not important. So we are, we are actually searching for people who don't ask this question. There are no lollipops that we are giving. We are not offering them a degree, a diploma, a job. This is not a job creating program. This is program for nation building, Samaj Sudhar. There is no lollipop. Na nokri milegi, na chokri milegi, na chokra milega. Chokri chokra to mil bhi jaye. But we are not guaranteeing any jobs or marital prospects or what have you. We are saying if you want to give, come. We are only taking from you. We are not giving you. Jo ghar fuke apna. You burn your house and come. Kabir is calling you in the middle of the marketplace. He's not calling you in the Himalayas. 
he is calling you in the middle of all this duniyadari come in that teeming marketplace but burn your house and come only then you can do something that's it from me if this episode sparked something within you do check out this song i've included links in the show notes and leave some feedback for us by recording a voice note i'm manisha kadagattur thank you for listening